You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Told you so. Told you weeks ago. Told you when the season was going on. I told you so. How do you tell someone you love? I told you so. Hey, off and running on this Friday, November 13th. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. Oh, my gosh. We have so much to do on this Friday edition. So let's get right into it. Of course, we've got week 10 in the NFL. We have. This is mine. This, we should be making a much bigger deal of this than we, we, we have. At least I have. Because we don't know when we might get this again. We have an actual important Giants game this week. Not, not week one. Not week two. Now, look, I understand by Monday that might sound completely ridiculous. And I won't be telling you I told you so then. But at least according to the math, right? Eh, you never know. This is an actual important Giants game. We got the it Masters happened. going. Yeah, it happened. Um, we got one in the second half of the year that if you, if you kind of, you know, it's almost like remember those pictures that you had back in the day that you would stare at the picture and then you kind of blur your focus a little bit and you'd see like a 3D image. Hey, it's the Statue of Liberty. That's kind of like the Giants right now. If you look at it just kind of cross-eyed a little bit and you blur your vision a little bit, you can convince yourself that this is an important game. And at least mathematically, you would say it is an important game. So we'll get to that. We have the Masters going on, and I got to tell you, I am pumped like never before for the Masters. Is it because of the star-studded leaderboard? Is it because Tiger Woods is right in the mix looking to go back-to-back at the Masters? No, it's because I love gambling. Oh, my God, does gambling improve things? You know, gambling gets a bad rap. Everybody, you know, all the Phil Mushnick articles about this thing and that, And look, it does have a downside. I'm not telling you it doesn't. But for the person who can handle themselves, it's fun. It adds some excitement. And it doesn't take a lot. It just takes a couple of bucks here or there. It's amazing. You spread some money around at the man. It's fantastic. Uh, So we'll get into that. We'll, uh, of course, have a weekend. I really buried the lead. We have a weekend that is so sensational. Nobody anywhere will be forced to watch the Jets. I mean, come on, people. The weekend's already looking up. But let's start because it's not very often I nail things so perfectly. So when I do, you know, in sports talk radio, if you, you know, sometimes you don't toot your own horn, there is no music. So I got to toot my own horn. I told you that this was going to happen. I said it way ahead of time. Yesterday, the MVP votes uh, were uh, the MVP awards, I should say, handed out in Major League Baseball. And it was the most predictable thing ever that D.J. LeMahieu did not win. It went to uh, Jose Abreu of the White Sox, who had 60 RBIs in 60 games. Oh, my God. Still basing MVP votes on RBIs. It's like basing Cy Young votes on wins. Uh, When in doubt, when in doubt, go with the slugging first baseman who has a lot of RBIs on a team that won the division. Now, LeMahieu didn't win. He was not expected to win. And uh, the main reason, I think, is that He's a Yankee. And we, I mean, we've detailed this a thousand times before. That if you're a Yankee, unless you're head and shoulders above everybody else, well, you know, maybe LeMahieu was not deserving. Well, I don't know. He finished in OPS number one in the American League. Not two, not six, not five, one. 
And I'm not basing this on batting average. That would be silly, too. OPS is the stat. The offensive stat to care about is OPS. On base plus slugging. And he was number one. And you'd have to say, well, Gordon, that's only the offense. What about the defense? Yeah, DJ LeMahieu plays a far more significant position than a first baseman like Jose Abreu. And plays multiple positions. is far more, you know, multifaceted, right? Second base one day, couple days third base, couple days first base. Had a higher war. No matter which war you use, war, what is it good for? If, it can't def- if you can't use it to come up with the MVP, what is the point? Now, he didn't play as in many games. I've seen that as a, as a factor, right? Jose Abreu played in every single game, Gordon. LeMay, who didn't? He only played in, uh, what was it, 50 games? I'm not sure. 83% of the games the Yankees played. I've seen people bring, oh, you know, he only played in 83% of the games. And it would be one thing if it was just focusing on the wrong things. Because then, eventually, you could just kind of, you know, like back when people were basing things on wins for a Cy Young, that was always silly, right? You're, you're factoring things that the pitcher has no control on, and you're just basing your vote on that. It's silly. It's not a good determining factor for who is the best pitcher whatever year. So when it was uh, Felix Hernandez or when it was Jacob deGrom, oh, you're just a Yankee fan. No, I made those arguments back then too. But it would be one thing if people were just focusing on the wrong stats. But the thing that annoys me is that the focus always changes when it involves the Yankee. Remember 2018? It was not that long ago. It feels a long time ago. But it was, it was only a couple of years ago. 2018, Shohei Otani beat out Miguel Andujar and Glaber Torres for the American League Rookie of the Year. Back then, the amount of games played was not a factor. Didn't get brought up. And if you brought it up, it was, ah, it's not that big a deal. It was when he played, look at the impact he had when he played. Despite the fact he played in 45 fewer games than Andujar. But Gordon, he was a pitcher. He also pitched. That's value. Yeah, he made one, of, he made one start past like early June of that year. And it was for like two innings. But back then, games, not that big an issue. You know what also is not a big issue in 2018? The fact that Otani was already an established player coming over from Japan. Not a factor in 2018. You know when it was a factor? 2003. Hideki Matsui didn't win Rookie of the Year. Well, you know, it's not in the spirit of the award. A few people left him off the ballot completely, and that's why he didn't win. He finished second to uh, Angel Baroa of the uh, Royals. And this goes on. I could do the entire show just based on the flip-flopping of logic through the years. Well, you can't do this, and then a couple of years down the road, you can do it just fine if it impacts someone who's not a Yankee. Nothing will ever beat uh, Justin Morneau winning uh, the MVP in 2006. That was classic. As I said before, when in doubt, go with a slugging first baseman who has a lot of RBIs on a team that wins the division. Morneau in 2006, in terms of OPS, was ninth in the American League. He wasn't even top five. He was barely top 10. And according to War, wins above replacement, he was fourth on his own team. 
And it would be one thing if he just blew away. It wouldn't be, but still, at least the reasoning would make some sort of sense if he led the American League in RBIs. He didn't even do that. It was Big Poppy that year. So people will say, you know what, you're just a Yankee fan crying about it. And I, actually, I really don't care that much. It's just annoying when there's this obvious thing out there and the hypocrisy flips from year to year, from case to case, and it's crystal clear that every time, unless a Yankee is just head and shoulders above everybody else, they will find a way to give the award to somebody else. Aaron Judge, Gordon, he won Rookie of the Year. What was that, 2017? Well, yes, also, that was a perfect example of a guy who was head and shoulders above everybody. I don't even remember who finished second. It was Trey Mancini. Or, I mean, he blew away the field, obviously. You couldn't make an argument that somebody else was. But also that year, he got cheated out of the MVP, despite having better statistical season in just about everything than... Um, Altuve. And you could go through the year 86 with Mattingly, 78 with Guidry, but it's just annoying. I don't really even care. Although you have to admit, if Mattingly won that second MVP in 86, I think you'd have a far better case of getting him into the Hall of Fame, which at the time when his career ended, I didn't think he'd necessarily belong. But seeing some of the people who've gotten in there since then, I think he certainly does. But it's just annoying to have something as crystal clear as this that you can point out case after case, after case, after case. And this is just the latest one. If DJ LeMahieu was playing on a different team and doing exactly the same things, playing in the same amount of games, leading in OPS, and it was reversed, and the Yankees had the slugging first baseman who had a bunch of RBIs, you'd hear, well, you know what? First base is not that impactful of a position. So it should obviously go to the guy who's playing second base and playing it at a fantastic level year in and year out. I'll be honest with you. Take DJ LeMahieu out of it. Jose Ramirez deserved the award, I think, more than Jose Abreu. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Coming up. Hopefully, the, the, uh, the offshoot of the DJ LeMahieu thing is hopefully they can resign him a lot cheaper. I don't think so, but you never know. Let's hold out hope. And, you know, one option that we brought up yesterday when we were hearing from Jeff Passan on the K Show about the Yankees' future, I don't think it's an option at all. We'll get into the Masters opening round. we got the Giants. We have the Regal Tumble today. Very big day in the Regal Tumble. I'll explain coming up. Also, Net picks and chill returns. I have a selection for this week. It's been a while. I've been watching a lot of garbage, but today I got one good. I got a good one for you. So we'll get into all. Can we get into all that? Eh, probably not, but we'll try. We'll try and squeeze it all in in the hour. I'll tell you right now. What what has been the uh, the talk all we all oh, the Chargers? They lose all these heartbreaking games. They never win any of these close games. Book it. They are going to win a close game on Sunday. Book it. You can bet. Forget about R.J. Bell. You don't need any of those picks. I'm telling you right now, Chargers will win a close game. This is the classic spot. The Dolphins overachieving. Nice, surprising road win week nine. Are the Dolphins for real? This would be the class. Maybe this year is different. Maybe it's all different now. I hope it certainly is. But this is the classic. Overachieve one week 
a team with a bad record that's had some bad losses, and then all of a sudden they'll just give it up in the fourth quarter. So we'll see. But I was watching um, the Masters yesterday, and DirecTV has that, like, octo box for Sunday ticket where you can put eight games. And the fact that DirecTV has not gotten on the ball and allowed you to have enough chance where you can have uh, the, the four games and you can kind of pick the four games, like they got a, a billion channels. Can you give me all the different combinations to let me work through them? Because with the giant, I like the four box. I prefer not the eight box, but they got that four box. But you, nobody in their right mind, unless there's only four games going on, the New York games are never going to be. How great would it be if they have, you know, just a two box where both games are going on? I don't feel like setting up another TV. I don't feel like watching it on the iPad. Come on, direct TV, get on the ball. But they have the quattro box. They have a four-way box for the Masters. And I've got to say, it doesn't matter what's in the four boxes. It just is better. It's just fun. It's perfect for the treadmill. You can bounce around. You feel like you're playing director. But Tiger, obviously, the big story yesterday. Uh, finished at uh, four under, so well within striking distance. Right there on the first page of the leaderboard. And I have to be honest, I did not really expect much from Tiger going in. He had not really played a whole bunch going in and did not play well when he did. But four birdies, no bogeys. Just a first bogey-free round for Tiger at a major since 2009. And in the past, even when he was playing well, like before last year's win, even when he was playing well, he would always give away a hole or two at the end of his round. And yesterday really got kind of unlucky on a few holes near the end. So we'll see. It feels like, I get it, the, the intro, Tiger is the, the he, even before last year, he was still the most famous golfer even when he was not playing well. And even when he did not make the cut, people care about him. So he's going to be featured far more prominently than everybody else. I understand why. But it does feel like the Tiger show featuring the Masters. Like when a song has like some, this song is uh, featuring so-and-so, but the person who's singing is the so-and-so, and you're like, why, why isn't it their song with somebody else? No, it's the Tiger show with, uh, featuring the Masters. So uh, I will say this. The reason mostly that I'm excited about the Masters, I am all over this leaderboard. The, the way we devised how to, to make some gambling picks yesterday was absolutely fantastic. Now, the guy that I was mo- – the number one, if I only had one selection, I spread my money around a little bit because the odds in golf, they're so you know high. You just have to hit one of them, right? Um, Patrick Cantley was the guy that, that – to me, that's a golfer. Patrick Cantley. Not Pat, not Rick, Patrick Cantley. So I went with him. Uh, I went with mostly favorites. I, I took your advice, Ray. I went with Bryson DeChambeau, who was not very good yesterday, but still he's kind of right within striking distance. Um, so he's right there. John Ram I went with. Uh, Patrick Reed was plus 3,000. And then my last pick, not very scientific, I will grant you. This is like when your wife picks the football games. But Justin Thomas is the cover athlete for the EA golf game. So I said, "Ah, let me put a couple bucks down on him. And he was plus 1,200. Listen, sometimes it just works out. Right. Sometimes your wife wins the football pool, right? And it doesn't mean that she – look, we have R.J. Bell, who is an expert. He's looking at all the numbers. He's crunching the numbers all week long, and he gets them wrong. So – it's amazing how a couple of bucks can make you care. Lotto has a, a, they used to have a dollar in a dream. FanDuel, not that they need my, my advice, but I would say uh, FanDuel should go with a couple of bucks and you care. All of a sudden you care for a couple of bucks. So uh, I, would, I would advise them to, to, to work that into the mix. Maybe I'll work that into the spots later on. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. You know what? Let's get right to the Regal Tumble. Because I've been hearing from a lot of you. Well, you know, Gordon, this is pointless. It's going to be The Sopranos. It's going to be Seinfeld. It's going to be 
these are the two. They're just going to battle it out to the end. I heard other people say, get Seinfeld out of here. I heard other people say, you know, the Wire clearly should win when the Wire, it's pretty clear, they've been vulnerable. Now, I will say, the fact that they were almost the double elimination, that I feel like has kind of gotten some support for them. So uh, we'll see if they can survive. Because I'll be honest, the last, you know, week or so, we're into day number 20. So we've been doing this for a month now. What a fantastic job by me, coming up with poll questions for a month right out of the box. Uh, but yet, we had had uh, some weak contenders. Let's be honest. I'd have to be, I'd be lying to you. Now, this is just the way they randomly came out. But we've had some weak contenders. I think we've had a solid week of one and done. Yesterday, just a complete jobber, right? That's the term the kids use, jobber. When, it, when it's a wrestler that has no chance of winning, Homeland was the entry yesterday with their little jazz trumpet. And they were basically SD Special Delivery Jones. Or um, what was another one? Barry Horowitz. Remember Barry Horowitz? You, you see him on a Saturday afternoon. Oh, Barry. Oh, he's not going to. Go, who's going up against Barry Horowitz? Gonna I was going to throw out the Brooklyn Brawler. but that, Brooklyn that's a Brawler, one. a classic one. Iron Mike Sharp was another one. Iron Mike Sharp actually got a little bit of a run one time. I remember. And uh, he, he, had, he won a couple of matches. And everybody's like, what the hell's going on? Iron Mike Sharp's now winning matches. And he was coming back from the ring after a match, and he cursed on the air. And uh, he's like, that's how you bleep and do it. And you never saw Iron Mike Sharp again. So uh, Homeland was essentially Iron Mike Sharp yesterday because they just never showed up. 8.4% of the vote. Just, uh, it's not the worst performance so far. That still belongs to Billions. Billions came in at 6%. Whoever nominated Billions, I, I can't go back and look now. But what a terrible job. Billions, they needed a billion votes just to catch up. This Is Us has been te- was terrible, 6.2%. Cosby, 69 But as I said yesterday, in the next week or so, things are going to change. Because there are, I, I know the master list. You don't, but I do. And I can see that there are at least three possibilities, probably in the next week or so, that could upset the entire apple cart and no, anything is possible. And what this tournament has kind of shown me is that, A, my taste game is impeccable, but I'm not going to pat myself anymore on the back. B, I have an excellent read on how these things are going to go. Outside of the wires, shocking last-minute comeback against the, the office to knock out the office, that's the only one that's really surprised me so far. And I love The Wire. I, I would tell you The Wire probably deserves to be in the final four. But let's get to the today's show because it will be mocked. It will be made fun of on Twitter. Everybody will say, but I'm telling you right now, it's going to get votes. It's going to get votes, people. And it is a live contender to knock out at least one of these three shows that have kind of been running the thing here for the last week or so. So let's get to the count- don't even bother playing the uh, theme song for Homeland. They're out. We don't even need to bring them up again. But let's get to the countdown for today. Let's find out today's contender. Day 20 of the Regal Tumble. This is going to be a very, very popular pick. Uh, and it's not going to be one that people are going to uh, say, oh, I loved watching it back in the day. Ah, look, I'll be honest with you. I watched it back in the day. 
Chandler Bing and uh, the whole uh, the whole crew there. Courtney Cox, top of her game. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see where uh, where it winds up. The poll question is up for today. Day number twenty. Ah, darn it! Did I did I screw it up again? No, I fixed it today. Day twenty of the Regal Tumble. I'm pinning it to my profile page as we speak. The four entries are. Friends is today's entry, obviously. The Wire, The Sopranos, and Seinfeld. Those are your four options. You can vote on Twitter. And I would say, get out and get er- vote early, and like, much like a Chicago's vote. Vote early, vote often. Because Friends, if you are a Wire fan, and I would say that this primarily comes down to Friends versus The Wire because The Wire has been the most vulnerable. But I would also say this is definitely Seinfeld's biggest threat so far. Friends is a show that could absolutely knock off Seinfeld. Now, I think The Sopranos is safe because that's a drama and you're splitting the comedy vote here. But I think, if you want to consider Friends a comedy, I think that Seinfeld could be, this would definitely be Seinfeld's biggest threat to date. These are really interesting numbers already. Say that again, Ray? You've got really interesting numbers already. Very interesting. And, you know, you think, oh, you just put it up two seconds ago. There's not that many votes. It's amazing how the vote stays the same over the 23-plus hours that the vote is up. So I will just say to you right now, Seinfeld's not safe. The Wire's not safe. And this could be. This might be going out on the limb. This could be a double elimination. Today could be a double elimination because – what has been lying in wait, a lot of people have come to me and said, you know what, I just don't have the, uh, the excitement anymore now that The Office is out. And I think a lot of those people have just taken, not to voting for one of the other ones, but they haven't been voting. But The Office, I think is a, there's a lot of tie into The Office fans to Friends fans. And the Friends people will get the nostalgia vote. Like The Office isn't old enough to get the nostalgia vote just yet. Friends, oh, that will get the nostalgia vote too. So I would say... Nobody. I've said this a couple of times, and it has turned out to be absolutely true. No show is safe. So if you have a favorite, and it's something other than Friends, or if it's Friends, vote early, vote often. If you know Kevin Durant, and you can get his burners into the mix, I would say do whatever you got to do. It's all fair in love and war. It's all fair in the regal tumble. And I would just say, uh, look, I I watched Friends back in the day. To me, it was a complete kind of pacing ripoff of Seinfeld like the pacing of the jokes and the pacing of the the dialogue was completely Seinfeld and I think that over time is Friends staying on Netflix I think it is because the office at the end of this year leaves for the NBC streaming app I think that Friends is staying on I would say if it is staying on you get a halfway popular show on Netflix that people can just kind of watch every single day and re-watch every single day you are look at how popular the office was, and they had a lot of seasons that were terrible. Once, uh, once Michael Scott left the show, it was not that funny of a show. So, uh, I would just say, in terms of the regal tumble, get out, vote early, vote often. The vote is up. It is on Twitter at Gordon Damer, and uh, boy, oh boy, uh, the uh, the vote total early on is uh, very interesting. Doesn't look good. For uh, The Wire, and certainly does not. If you're a Wire fan, and, and if you've seen The Wire, you're a Wire fan. I've never seen anybody who watched The Wire at least the first four seasons and said, you know what, just wasn't for me. Just, just wasn't my show. I watched the first season, and it just didn't work for me. Anybody who watches The Wire not only loves it, they become obsessed 
with telling you how much they loved it. So uh, there you go. The vote is up. It's on Twitter, uh, at Gordon Damer. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. You know what? Let's do net picks and chill here while we're at it. Uh, this is a feature that I have uh, come up with that has kind of gone away. And it is, I, wa- I have a lot of free time, right? I work one hour a day. So I have a lot of free time to, to look at shows and stream this and stream that. So I've come up with suggestions of things that have flown under the radar. At a time, it used to be there was a lot of, you know, a lot of great stuff and just too much time, and not enough time, excuse me, to watch all of it. So this kind of has reversed in 2020, but there's still a lot of stuff out there. Unfortunately, not a lot of it is good. So net picks and chill, I've not made any selections in the last couple of weeks because there hasn't been anything good to watch. But I have found something, and it kind of plays into that nostalgia angle as well. HBO Max, I don't know if people have HBO Max. It might just be on HBO, like on demand, if you have that. But it's a documentary called Class Action Park. And it is about, of course, Action Park from uh, Vernon, New Jersey. If you grew up in the area, even if you didn't go to Action Park, you remember the ads. And uh, it takes a little while to get going, but very funny. The testimonials of people who went to Action Park. I never went, but it was like one of these urban legend things that was like beyond Thunderdome. You would just hear stories about the chaos that would go on there. And they get into the guy who built it, and the stories are, I mean, they are just right out of the 1980s. It could never happen nowadays. But he would build these rides. Like one ride he built on, uh, off an idea he drew on a cocktail napkin. And then he went to people at the park. Who were the people at the park? They were just people that worked there. They didn't have engineering degrees or anything like that. He's like, build this. And one of the things they talked about was like this water slide that was a, I don't even know if it was a water slide. It was just a tube that you went down that had a loop in it. And again, nobody had engineering degrees. They weren't like measuring. How would they see if it worked? The guy, the owner, went to the bottom of the hill where they built the thing. And he held up a big stack of $100 bills. And he told all the people that worked there, you go down the slide, I'll give you $100. And these are all teenage kids in the 1980s, $100, whoa, of course. And they would go down, they'd come out all bloodied and battered. And I don't want to give too much away, but fantastic, a lot of fun. Uh, Again, it could never happen nowadays. And if you either went to Action Park, I'm sure that a lot of these stories will ring true to you. If you never went to Action Park, it will feed into all the stories you heard about it because it was kind of this urban legend. All right, 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. And I will say this right now. In terms of the regal tumble, no show is safe. Even the Sopranos in early voting is not safe. I'll put that out there. Good field position out of this one. They block it. The Colts block it. It's picked up by the Colts. And that's TJ Carey. Special teams. How about you? Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. A block punt for a touchdown. You know, and that's the moment of inspiration for this Friday morning. The block punt. Love a block punt. Love a block kick. Oh, they're fantastic. Uh, and I was thinking about betting that game last night because I think when I was looking at it, it was uh, Titans plus one. I'm thinking the Titans are at home. You know, Titans are a pretty good team. I kind of have a thing for uh, Tannehill from his Dolphin days, so I feel a kind of affiliation, not a thing, but, you know, an affiliation for him. Uh, let's not get things misconstrued there. 
uh, and the Colts are a team that's very odd to me. And then I was watching uh, the NFL Network, like the pregame show, and everybody on the panel all liked the Titans. I was like, well, no, I'm not doing that. You know what? Everybody likes it one way. Nah, I'm not going to be on board. I'm not, I'm not going down on that sinking ship. And then the first half, I'm watching the first half last night, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, perfect record, Gordon. When you feel good about a game and you don't bet any money on the game, of course, it always comes to fruition. You knew it all the time. And then I woke up this morning. I watched the second half on Game Pass. And um, turned out I was right to keep my money in my pocket. All right, it is the Gordon Damer Show, your moment of inspiration for this uh, Friday morning. 1-800-919-ESPN is the phone number. 1-800-919-3776. And I should tell you, uh, also, as I look at my phone here, the Michael K Show's 20 and 20 contest continues today at 3 p.m. Be listening for your chance at 20 great prizes over 20 days to make your home life a little more enjoyable. For today, the guys are giving away cash. Who doesn't need some cash? 500 bucks in cash. It's the 20 and 20 contest. It's brought to you by PC Richard and Son, Kansas City Steak, the Bartishan, Premium Cocktails on Demand, and 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Also today... It's not just the 20 and 20. It's day 20 of the Regal Tumble. It is up on Twitter. It is at Gordon Damer. And I will say right now, in the uh, parlance of elections, this race, too close to call. Too close to call. Friends is today's entry and already is uh, is throwing some haymakers in there. So I'll say this. Friends certainly is not going to go out like a lot of the shows here. Homeland. 24, which came and went very quick. People were like, what happened to 24? They were gone. If you blinked, you missed them. Now, Friends is making things happen, so we'll see. We've kind of replaced the old power trio with another power trio of The Wire, Sopranos, and Seinfeld. We'll see if one of those three. And I will say right now, Seinfeld's getting its biggest run for the money so far, and The Wire is definitely in trouble. So if you're a fan of either show, please vote early, vote often. Uh, All right, so let's get to a couple other things. We've got the giant game. You know, do you have that cut of Stephen A.? We talked on this yesterday. I'm not going to go over all the same points again about uh, Russell Westbrook and the Knicks. Like, why in the hell? Like, the Knicks have done all this work to get clear out cap space, to have all these draft picks. Now, look, the roster's terrible. They're going to be bad for a while. But again, it's like going on a diet. If you don't see any progress in a, in a day, you know what? You got to kind of stick with the diet. If you stick with it for long enough, it's going to work. It's science. Now, building a roster is not science. I get it. They're, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to pick wrong guys. And who knows? At the end of the day, we might get two years from now, and the Knicks might still stink just as bad as they have. But at least you're, ta- you're making a legitimate effort to build something for the first time in forever. And why you would want to go through all these steps, clear out the cap space, get the draft picks, all this stuff, and then go all in. And that's what you'd be doing. You'd be going all in on Russell Westbrook, to me, just to have a little bit of excitement. That's what, that's what I hear. Well, you know, they're not going to win anyway. Well, I don't know. Why don't we try to win? Why, do, why don't we set that as the goal rather than, you know what, I just like a little bit of excitement. Just a little bit of excitement. How about win- winning's exciting? I like winning. Now, I'm not telling you that they're going to win. Maybe they will suck just as bad as they have sucked and will suck, and they'll always suck. But at least let's try. Can we try for a day or two before we just give up and throw up our hands? Well, you know, it's not working. Well, geez, guys, really, really stuck to the plan for a long time. God almighty. And you're going to go all in on Russell Westbrook, 32-year-old guy, ball-dominant guy, just so you know what? He can have a triple-double. So Stephen A., 
I don't know where. Was he on TMKS yesterday? Was he on the K show? He was on K. Okay. Uh, he was asked about Russell Westbrook, and, and this is in part what he said. James Harden is ball dominant. Russell Westbrook is ball dominant. Russell Westbrook believes himself to still be a superstar in this league that should not have to defer or should not have to play off the ball. And obviously that's not going to be the case in Houston because even though he's great in his own right, he's certainly not James Harden. And as a result of that, uh, he has made it clear to uh, ownership and management for the Rockets. His latest last night, he absolutely positively wants out. Uh, it's irreconcilable differences from a basketball perspective. I'm not going to sit up here and say that him and James Harden are not friends anymore because that would be responsible on my part. I don't know that's true. Okay, so that was him talking about Houston doing what they're going to do. This is the one I really wanted to get to, saying that the re- this is why the Knicks should make the move for Russell Everything, Westbrook. and that probably still wouldn't be enough because it's the Knicks. They don't have anything to offer uh, Houston. I mean, if Houston were to give up Russell Westbrook, it would be to get his salary off their hands. That would be their motivation behind getting rid of Russell Westbrook. He definitely would be box office in New York because even though he can't shoot three-point shots, and that's a hindrance for him, he's unstoppable one-on-one. He can get to the basket anytime he wants. He's a big physical guard with lightning quickness and incredible athleticism who's ultra, ultra aggressive. New York City would absolutely positively fall in love with Russell Westbrook if they were able to get him on their roster because the championship wouldn't be expected. So it really would be up to Russell Westbrook, too. But it would also be up to the Houston Rockets in terms of do the Knicks have anything to offer them that would intrigue them to make such a move. I don't think that would be the case, but you never know. Well, look, they just want to get him. uh, It seems like they just want to get him out of there. And now I do think that they would have better options to send him someplace else. And uh, it's about clearing the the, the cap space. But if, if the Knicks... And I don't know that they, again, this really shouldn't be a criticism of the Knicks because I don't know if the Knicks are really investigating this as much as people saying there are. Uh, We shall see. The last reason the Knicks should care about making a move. Now, I think it's just a bad basketball move to be going all in on a 32-year-old guy who's ball dominant, whose game is based on athleticism as he gets older, and he's making, what was it, $150 million over the next three years or something around there when you've gone through all these steps to kind of do a rebuild and it's just begun. But the last reason they should be looking to make that kind of move at all would be box office. A, Nick fans are the most, in this town, there's nobody even close. They are in first place by a mile. You know this because they are still fans of the team. And they are dominant fans of the team. They are on board for whatever. They still believe. After all the evidence, after year after year, after disappointment and laughingstock and this thing and coaching and GM changes and everything, they're still on board. So you don't have to sell Nick fans on box office. Secondly, there is no box office. There's nobody, there's no fans in the stands. We don't know if there's going to be any fans in the stands again. So this would be the time to completely, A, the Knicks should not be worrying about exciting their fan base. Their fan base is already excited. Secondly, they don't need to worry about box office because there's nobody going to the games. Once they are allowed to go to games again, you know what? Nick fans will go to games if I'm playing. If nobody's playing, if they throw five jerseys on the court, Nick fans will go. So, no, that is not a reason that would almost be like when they, we were talking about Francisco Lindor. He's got a personality that lights up a room. Who cares his personality? How does he play? 
So, no, Nick fans making a judgment based on or, or the Knicks organization saying, hey, let's go get this guy. He'll be good for box office. Nick's box, the box office is fine. It's the wins and losses that are the problem. It's building a roster that can have some level of success long term, not maxing, maxing out on a 32-year-old who's making $137 million over the next three years. And the only reason, I mean, Houston can't wait to get rid of him to clear out that cap space. And, of course, anytime you're looking for a team, you're looking for the sucker in the room. The Knicks have always been that in the past. I'm hoping that's not going to be the case this time. Of course, as soon as Russell Westbrook's name and his salary gets brought up, who's the first team everybody's going to point to? The Knicks. It's like such a classic Knicks move. Hey, let's get its aging superstar who, you know, still has some tire left on the tree, you know, tread left on the tire and all, but is making way too much money, is not going to really improve the situation all that much. But hey, he tries hard, he's exciting. That's the classic Nick move. If you want to have a different future, you have to stop making the same mistakes of the past over and over and over again. All right, so that's that. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Box office. Oh, my God. The last thing the Knicks have to worry about is box office. Um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up, ah, obviously Giants. Giants-Eagles on uh, Sunday. And um, you'd have to say, right, it's, it's very possible by Monday I will look ridiculous saying this. But this game is important, uh, based just based on math, based on how they played last time, and based on the NFC East standings, and how the Giants, you'd have to say, have played overall. Could they challenge in this division if they can ever break through? And to break through, what do you have to do? You're going to have to beat somebody other than Washington, because the Giants have not shown that they can beat anybody other than Washington over the last two years, basically. They beat, uh, who was it, uh, Tampa. And how you play in the division very well could determine who wins the division, right? You still have one more game against the Cowboys, which you would think is going to be a winnable game, basically because every game against the Cowboys is a winnable game, no matter who you are. No, I mean, if the Jets played the Cowboys, they would probably look at this as being a winnable game. Even the Jets! Even the Jets. So how you play in the division, you got two more division games left. You beat Washington twice. You got the Eagles this week, and you got the Cowboys down the end of the season. So how you play in this division probably is going to determine the division. Cowboys are done. Washington's probably done. You'd have to say the Eagles are still the favorites because where they are and who they are. But the Giants, you could at least, again, much like the 3D picture from uh, 20 years ago, when you kind of blur your eyes a little bit and you see that 3D sailboat coming at you, you could kind of figure out it's not completely illogical to think the Giants could contend this year in the NFC East. But to do that, they have to win this game. You can't make that case if you continue to lose to everybody but Washington. But how can you predict an Eagles-Giants game, right? Like, especially the Eagles. Sometimes they pass the eye test on individual plays, but there will be times during that same game where you want to gouge out your eyes. And Carson Wentz, at times, looks completely lost. That first game against the Giants... For a good section of the first three quarters, I would say he looked like the, the quarterback who was in his second year and was trying to overcome the, some of the passes. Some of the, it was just such disrespect, it seemed like, he had for the Giants' defense, just throwing up these wild passes. And yet the, the Eagles were still somehow able to win that game. Now, I think the Eagles probably win, 
but it's probably close, right? Giants are plus three and a half the last I saw. If I had to make a pick based on the line, I'd probably take the Giants there because I got the extra little hook. But the Eagles are healthier than they've been in quite some time. Uh, and, and sometime, uh, Miles Sanders is back. The receivers are healthier. Rager is back. Uh, the old line is healthier, too. They're coming off the bye week. And while it does kind of feel like the Giants are due to beat them, I mean, geez, Louise, eight straight losses, 12 of 13, and I think it's 21 of 25 or 20 of 24 or something like that. So it does seem like they're kind of due to beat them, but I can't expect them to win until they actually beat someone other than Washington, especially since they are winning. The Giants, when they do win, that's not very often, but they're, they're trying to win despite their quarterback, not because of him. They have scaled things back because of the turnovers. And look, it's the right decision because you can't have your quarterback continually turn the ball over as Daniel Jones does. And I don't know if their talent is enough to overcome that when they're trying to win games and do whatever they can to kind of limit the quarterback so that he does not kill them. I'm not exactly sure why, and I'm interested to see this about this Eagle game, because it seems like teams continually are trying to run against the Giants, and the Giants have a good run defense. And it's almost like we keep bringing up, you know, teams keep scoring late in games against the Giants, late in the half, late in the game. Uh, And its reason, I think, is because their pass defense is terrible. they got no pass rush, and outside of Bradbury in the secondary, they're not very good. So it's like at the end of the halves and at the end of games, team kind of abandoned the run and they just throw and they have success and it works. So I'm interested to see now with the bye week if the Eagles come out and are far more pass heavy than uh, maybe they were in that first game. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. Coming up, we'll kind of recap. Also, I have the Yankee point to make about, you know, and I think that this is the way it's going to play out. The Yankees are going to re-sign DJ LeMahieu, and then they're going to stick with Glaber Torres at shortstop. And part of the reasoning for that is give him a full year or whatever next year is. It's going to probably be more than 60 games, you'd like to think. Give him a, a real shot to play shortstop. And then if he can't, then the following year you can get into the free agent class because there are so many great options. And one of the options that got brought up and it continues to get brought up, I don't think is actually an option. So we'll get to that coming up. <laughs> What a wild show this has been so far. I feel like we've crammed in so much in just one hour. And that includes day number 20 of the Regal Tumble. The K Show has their 20 and 20 where they give away prizes every single day. But let's be honest, chances of you winning one of those prizes, very, very slim. Only one person a day. The Regal Tumble, on the other hand, everybody gets to vote at least once. And it's up today on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. And it is uh, the entry today, in case you're just joining us, is Friends, which has uh, started out very, very strongly. I knew it would. And I would think that after four or five or six days of one and dones, right, all the, the weaklings coming in there, just getting tossed over the top rope very, very quickly. Friends is a live contender. And uh, I've noticed that uh, Seinfeld numbers are down early on. Sopranos numbers are down early on. And I'll, I'll just say this. Don't come complaining to me later. What I'm telling you now, every show is vulnerable. Nobody is safe now that Friends is in the mix. All six of them, super annoying. That silly theme song, too. Uh, all right, so that's the Regal Tumble. It's up on Twitter. It's at Gordon Damer. I did want to touch on, and we, we opened the show by pointing out, and I pointed out, that DJ LeMahieu should have been the American League MVP this year. Every other time 
that there's an MVP or a rookie of the year or a Cy. You could go through on the show and just do it solely on this. The reasoning, when there is a Yankee who is a contender, and let's be honest, in past years I have heard, and rightfully so, that the MVP, well, you know, this guy led baseball in OPS, or he led uh, in uh, war, or he led in this thing, or he played this position, a very important defensive position. All those things make sense, except when it's a Yankee. Then all of a sudden it's not so important, so you'll go with that slugging first baseman who has a lot of RBIs, and Jose Abreu did have 60 RBIs in 60 games. Of course, DJ LeMay, who's batting leadoff, so it's not really a fair comparison, but I pointed that out, and it's 100% true, and I said beforehand, before it even came to the MVP vote, when the season was still going on, and people were saying, you know, DJ LeMay, is the MVP, and of course, I think he is, Um, but I said he's not going to get the award, because unless he had some miraculous, you know, where he just went on this unbelievable tear and hit, you know, 450, where it was like you could not possibly deny him the award, he was not going to be awarded it. You have to, when you're a Yankee, you have to be head and shoulders above everyone else. So the offseason, and I would think that the first thing that the Yankees have to do, and I've said this for a while, the first decision I think they have to make is what are they going to do with Glaber Torres? Do they feel, based on the season he had at shortstop, that he's just somebody who can't play shortstop? And it feels like, Boy, oh boy, that's a bit of a stretch, right? A weird year where he only played 40 games and um, a guy who's played shortstop coming up in the minor leagues and a guy who you planned to play shortstop. I mean, it, it was not like they, they, that DJ, uh, that uh, DD Gregorius got away and, uh, oh my God, they were so shocked and they had nothing. No, their plan was to let DD walk and move Glaber to shortstop and then DJ Lemay, who was going to play second base. So that was the plan all along. So to be going off that plan, based on you know a 60-game season, seems like a bit of a stretch. But to me, that's always been, what's the first thing you're going to do? And are you going to bring DJ LeMahieu back? Which I think, overwhelmingly, Yankee fans are saying, yes, you better. But I think part of the reasoning for me behind that is, let's give Glaber a full season at shortstop. It is possible a guy who's 23 years old can improve at the position with a full year under his belt. Then I think you can make a fairer case. You know what? He's just not built to play shortstop. We gave it a shot. You know, as I brought up before, I think Derek Jeter had, what, 22, 23 errors in his first year. I get that Glaber projected to have more than that uh, based on how he played this year. But let's give him a full year to, to really see and make a fair judgment. And then if it turns out you make that decision next year, you know what, this guy just can't do it. The free agent class next year, and we played that Jeff Passan cut yesterday about all the, the free agent shortstops that are available, there's more big-money MVP-type caliber shortstops than there are big-money teams to bid on them. So one of the guys that gets brought up, you know, Corey Seager's a guy, Francisco Lindor is a guy, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Trevor Story, and another guy who gets brought up is Carlos Correa. And Carlos Correa is a fantastic player. I just can't see the Yan- I mean, could you imagine... There's no way the Yankees would go after that guy. After I, And look, I understand they brought in Roger Clemens and they were able to make that work, but it's kind of hard to believe given, and I know everybody in baseball has already passed it. It doesn't matter. Bring back Alex Cora. Ah, he's a good guy. Right. I mean, it doesn't matter that he cheated here and he cheated there and A.J. Hinch cheated and was sitting in a front row seat. But I find it hard to believe that Carlos Correa would be a legitimate contender. Uh, I still think that the plan should be that, you know, give Glaber the full year and then see what's available in free agency a year from now. 
But I find, I find it very hard to believe that uh, Carlos Correa would be that guy. All right, that's going to do it for us for today. We're already out of time. Please vote on the Regal Tumble. No show is safe. We'll be back on Monday starting at 5. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin are up next. We'll see you Monday, 98.7 FM ESPN. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.